verses 12 through 19. Uh, but before we hear God's word, let's bow for a word of prayer. Let's pray. Guide us, O oh God, by your word and the Holy Spirit, that in your light we may see light, that in your truth we may find freedom, and that in your will we could discover peace. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. John chapter 8, verses 12 through 19. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Then the Pharisees said to him, you are testifying on your own behalf. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid because I know where I have come from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is valid. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is valid. I testify on my own behalf, and the Father who sent me testifies on my behalf. Then they said to him, where is your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, I have a confession to make. Now, I know some of you are thinking, wow, the pastor's going to confess something. I hope it's juicy. <laughs> and my wife is probably saying, oh no, what's he going to say now? Well, here goes. I have nyctophobia. Now, how many of you know what nyctophobia is? Nyctophobia is the fear of the dark. Now, doctors tell us that it's common. It's a common phobia. It affects people of all ages. People who have this specific phobia disorder can have trouble sleeping at night in the dark. Uh, they might have panic attacks. Uh, they have a tendency to, to avoid dark places. Yes, I'm afraid of the dark. Gracie will tell you that I have nightlights all over the house. For me, darkness is scary. Now, some of you might remember the inner space caverns. Now, years ago, when Gracie and I first traveled to Texas to visit my parents, inner space caverns was one of the tourist traps that we, that we visited now, it's located just north of Austin in Georgetown on I-35, and they provide the opportunity for inexperienced, curious cavers to see the wild underground world of a cave that was hidden for more than 10,000 years. Well, guided tours are available for all skill levels and, and all degrees of adventure. 
The website says that it's one of the most comfortable caves to explore in Texas. I disagree. (laughs) For those of us who are afraid of the dark, it's a frightening experience. When we went through it, the guide turned off the lights to show us how dark it is in a cave. Total darkness. Now, for a person with nyctophobia, it's your worst nightmare. I panicked, and I couldn't wait to get out of there. But, you know, I don't think that I'm alone. How many of you women would want to walk through the dark streets of Houston by yourselves? Or how many of you men keep a flashlight in the car just in case you break down on a dark road at night? And what if the electricity goes out? You know, I have lots of flashlights that I showed the kids. If the electricity goes out, I grab one of them immediately. What if it goes out? We all have flashlights or candles or something to light up the house. You can't see in the dark if you don't have a light. Now, light, obviously, is important for all of us. The importance of light can be seen in Jesus' statement that I read this morning. I am the light of the world. He who believes in me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. As a young boy growing up in the, the late 1800s, the Scottish novelist and poet Robert Louis Stevenson was intrigued by the work of an old lamplighter that went around his village lighting the lanterns of the street. He had a ladder with him and a torch, and he would light those lanterns. One evening in Edinburgh, Scotland, as he stood watching the lamplighter, that lamplighter with fascination, his parents heard him exclaim, Look! Look, there's a man out there punching holes in the darkness. A man out there punching holes in the darkness. With that one statement, Robert Louis Stevenson summed up the life of Jesus, the Lord of life. Jesus came to this earth with the primary mission to punch holes in the darkness that surrounds our world. He came to be the light of the world. Now, in the Gospel of John, there are seven I am statements. The seven I am statements are, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. I am the light of the world is the second, the second I am statement. And it's a powerful statement, rich in all sorts of symbolism and meaning. But before I I share a couple of observations with you from John chapter 8, verses 12 through 19, let me just briefly give you the setting for this second I am statement. Now, the Gospel of John tells us both the location and the occasion for this second statement of Jesus. 
In John chapter 8, verse 20, we read, He spoke these words while he was teaching in the treasury of the temple. Now, I mentioned earlier that the temple in Jesus' day was an extravagant complex. The treasury of the temple was for Jews only. It was a Jews-only designated area. So in our passage for this morning, Jesus is speaking to the Jews who had come there to worship and to celebrate. And Jesus speaks to these Jews at this location, and this is the audience that he's speaking to. But that's not all that John tells us about this this situation, what was happening at the time. Back in John chapter 7, verse 2, John tells us that, that now the Jewish festival of booze was near. The festival of tabernacles, booze. So Jesus proclaimed the words found in John chapter 8 during the festival of tabernacles. Now, let me tell you just a little bit more about the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles, also known as the Feast of Booths or, or Sakat, uh, is the, the seventh and the last feast that God commanded that the Jewish people observe, that the people of Israel observe. And it takes place on the 15th of the Hebrew month, Tishra. Tishri is the seventh month on the Hebrew calendar, usually occurs in late September or early October. And the feast lasts, begins five days after the Day of Atonement and at the time of the fall harvest. Now it's a time of joyous celebration as the Israelites celebrate God's continuing provision and protection for them. And remember, they remember that God was with them when they were in the wilderness for 40 years. Now, God commanded the people to build a Sukkot. A Sukkot, which is a temporary booth, is sort of like the booths that you would find at La Santera at the farmer's market. They're booths with a, uh, an overhang that, that covers them from the sun. And, And then after they build this booth, they're supposed to gather at the temple for a jubilant seven-day celebration. Now, the first day and a day added at the end of the week are considered the Sabbath, times of worship. At the temple, priests scurried around the great altar offering special sacrifices Now, every morning of the Feast of Tabernacles, there was a water-drawing ritual. So standing at the top of the southwest corner of the Temple Mount, a priest would blow the shofar, a ram's horn, with all of his might, announcing the beginning of the festival. And then a priest would exit from the, the water gate. Now... The water gate is on the south side of the main temple building. And they would carry this golden pitcher. And he was followed by a musical procession. And they would walk to the pool of Siloam in the old city of David. And at that point, the 
the one who was carrying the water pitcher would plunge the pitcher into the water. And he recited Isaiah, chapter 12, verse 2. Therefore, with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. So accompanying the chant was the street sound of an instrument called the reed flute. The reed flute of Moses. Now Moses means to draw out. And Pharaoh's daughter named him Moses because he was drawn out of the water. And Jerusalem's sole water supply was from that pool and the, the Gihon Spring that feeds it. Well, back then, water was a precious commodity. And it was a source of life and it was a source of refreshment. And when people asked why the ritual was called the drawing out of the water, they were told because of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. The water symbolized the Holy Spirit, the only true source of life. So then the priest would return to the temple with the golden pitcher of water. And he would be joined by another priest who was carrying an offering of wine. The shofar was blown again three times. Together the two priests would pour, would ascend up the great ramp to the altar. And they poured their libations, the water and the wine, into silver funnels. And during this ritual, the people gathered at the temple's court of the women. And they sang praises called the Hallel, Psalms 113 to 118. And the Levites, who were standing on 15 semicircular stairs in the court, would sing and they would play musical instruments. So you could tell this was a great celebration. The mixture of water and wine at the altar symbolized the life and the joy that's associated with the Holy Spirit. And then several priests holding willow branches would march around the great altar reciting Psalm 116 for all to hear. Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord, O Lord. I beseech thee. Send now your prosperity. And following the singing and the chanting, a great silence would descend on the sanctuary. And the people would stop where they were to feel any breeze, any wind that might be blowing. And listen to the wind. Reflecting on the spiritual significance of the water ritual. They were expressing their desire, their desire for, for a personal spiritual refreshment. Only God's spirit, symbolized by the water, could satisfy their thirsty souls. And finally, a benediction closed the celebration, and everyone went home under their sukkot or their booth. Now, the water ritual took place every day for seven days. And the seventh day was filled with excitement and anticipation. The last day of the feast was the great praise day. And it was then that an extraordinary event took place. 
Perhaps Jesus was seated near the water gate or somewhere in the court of the women watching the final drama of the water ritual. It was at that very moment when there was the customary hush to listen for the wind, to feel the wind. It was at that moment that Jesus stood up and cried out, If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. It was during the water ritual that Jesus said those words. He was indicating to the multitude who were there that it was through him that they could receive the Holy Spirit, the water of refreshment and life. Now, a second fascinating ceremony that's associated with the Feast of Tabernacles involved lights. Following the afternoon sacrifice on the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles, the gates of the temple were left open so that the public could come in and they gather in the court of the women and, and they would participate in the lighting of four giant lampstands. Now, you can see in this picture on the slide, there are four lampstands there. Each of them has four bowls on them. Those bowls are filled with oil. Now, an interesting fact is that, that the wicks that they used, that they lit those bowls with, were worn out clothes from the priests. The priests would collect their clothes that were worn out, and they would make them into wicks, and they would stick them into those bowls. And then they would take a, a priest would take a ladder climb up to those bowls, and then light the wicks. Now, you can ask your pastor if he has any old clothes. He could save them, and you can use them for wicks. But the lamps, the light from the lamps there was so bright. You know, those are so tall that they would shine out over all of Jerusalem. And it was said that they would shine in every courtyard in Jerusalem. So the lighting ceremony was accompanied by music and singing and, and dancing that lasted well into the night and even into the early morning hours. Now, it's, it's unclear whether the ritual was performed every day or whether or not the lamps remained lit through the entire week. We don't know that for sure. But the gigantic lamps were meant to recall how God had provided a pillar of light in the night when the Israelites were wandering through the desert for 40 years. The pillar allowed them to travel at night and, and provided warmth. And you can find that story in Exodus chapter 13. Well, historians tell us that as the women watched the celebration of the light from the upper terraces, men of piety and good works would dance before the oil lamps. So they would dance around the oil lamps that were burning. And they would have burning torches in their hands, singing songs, praising God. And meanwhile, countless Levites played their musical instruments. So there were musical instruments that were playing and they were singing and dancing. So the light festival continued all night long. They would do that. Well, the illumination from these temple lamps symbolized two realities. 
The first was the reality of the light of lights. Just Shekinah glory. The visible presence of God that filled the first temple that Solomon built. And the second was the great light that represented the Messiah who would come and bring light to all of those who were spiritually dead and dwelling in darkness. So John tells us that Jesus was in the temple and it was during the light celebration when the lights of the pillars were brightly shining that Jesus stood up and shouted to everyone, for everyone to hear, I am the light of the world. He that follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He proclaimed those two truths with that one statement. First, he's saying that he's the great light who the prophet Isaiah prophesied would come. And secondly, that he is God incarnate. The response was threefold. Some religious leaders rejected him and others were inquisitive enough to ask him some more questions and ask him for more information. And still others believed and received him. The joy associated with all the rituals of the Feast of Tabernacles anticipated Jesus' coming and bringing light to a life, to a dark, sinful world. Now, apart from the Feast of Tabernacles, light played an important role in Judaism, too. Jewish literature applied the title, the light of the world, to Israel and to, to Jerusalem, to the patriarchs, to the Messiah, to God, and to the law. The Pharisees that day, when they heard Jesus, understood that Jesus was claiming that he was the Messiah. And they said, you are bearing witness to yourself. Your testimony is not true. The Messiah was associated with light. Isaiah 9-2 says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. When Jesus said, I am the light of the world, he was affirming his divinity. Those who encountered Jesus that day and heard him speak would have immediately thought that Jesus was saying that he was, was God's anointed one, the Messiah. Some believed, some rejected. Now, let me make a couple observations. My first observation is this. My friends, the world around us is filled with darkness. When Jesus said, I am the light of the world, he made that statement at a dark time in Israel's history. The Romans, had, they were occupying Israel. An army of occupation in camp, was encamped in Jerusalem. God's people were oppressed. They were persecuted in their own land. Roman symbols and idols were all over the place. Taxes were forcibly collected for a heathen emperor, emperor who was thousands of miles away. It was a dark and dismal time for Israel. 
And in the midst of this darkness and in the midst of this despair, Jesus announces that he is God's light come into the world and that he is the light. You know, looking around the world today, it's so easy to see how dark our world is too. You know, our culture continues to push Jesus off to the side. People seem to not care about God and the things of God anymore. That's why it's so easy for you and I to resonate with the people of Israel who heard Jesus that day. Our world seems to be rejecting God's light. In John chapter 1, verse 5, John says, The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not un understood it. Eugene Peterson in the message put it this way. He says, this is the crisis that we're in. God light streamed into the world, but men and women everywhere ran for the darkness. They went for the darkness because they were not really interested in pleasing God. I don't know about you, but it's gotten to the point to where I hate listening to the news. Every day, we're hearing about mass shootings, senseless crimes, and other tragedies, world tragedies. The world seems to be getting darker and darker every day. People don't seem interested in pleasing God anymore. Now, my second observation is this. In the darkness, we desperately need Jesus. In this world of darkness, we need light. We need the light of Jesus Christ to show us the way. The words of Psalm 27, verses 1 through 3, proclaim, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advanced against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. When it gets dark around us, we need Jesus. When we face the tragedies of life, difficult situations, we need Jesus. Often, it seems like this is, there's this heavy fog of indecision, confusion, and uncertainty that surrounds us. But Jesus clears, does for us what light does in the darkness. He shines, he guides, he enables us to see as God wants us to see. In Christ's light, we see ourselves as we truly are. When Christ shines in our lives, we begin to realize how much we need him. But at the same time, we come to understand God's love, his grace, and his power to transform us. In Christ's light, we see God as he is. We see ourselves as we are, and we see life as it could be. Ronnie Henson wrote a beautiful song that expresses what I'm talking about, entitled The Lighthouse. And the words of the chorus are, I thank God for the lighthouse. 
I owe my life to him. Jesus is the lighthouse and from the rocks of sin. He has shown the light around me so that I may clearly see if it wasn't for the lighthouse, where would this ship be? My friends, where would we be without Jesus, the light of the world? We would be lost in the darkness. We need Jesus. I love the old story about a young boy who was asked by his mom to go out on the porch and get the broom. She needed the broom. Well, it was dark outside, and, and the boy had nyctophobia. He was afraid of the dark. So with tears in his eyes, he told his mom, I can't go out there. I'm too scared. Well, she smiled, and she assured him. She says, oh, it's okay. Uh, there's nothing out there that's going to hurt you. Besides, she said, Jesus is out there, and he'll look after you, and he'll protect you. Well, confused by his mother's statement, the young boy said, are, are you sure that Jesus is out there? And she insisted, yes, Jesus is out there. And she explained that Jesus is everywhere, and he's always ready to help you when you need it. Well, skeptical about her answer, the boy hesitated for a second, and he stared at his mother before going to the back door. When he got to the back door, he opened it just a little bit, and he looked out into the darkness, and he shouted, Jesus, if you're out there, hand me the broom. <laughs> well, there are times when you and I wonder if Jesus is really out there. Is Jesus really out there? The Gospel of John tells us that he is out there and that he's the light of the world. When you encounter Jesus Christ in your life and when you hear him say, I am the light of the world, how do you respond? Will you accept him? Will you reject him? Remember the words of Robert Louis Stevenson. There's someone out there punching holes in the darkness. Friends, that someone is Jesus Christ. Do you believe it or not? The choice is yours, and it can change your life forever. Amen and amen. Please pray with me. Almighty and loving God, we thank you for your words 